0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, and we also have our new co-host, Tara, and uh, we're both here to talk to you about fermentation today. And Tara, I hear that you've been uh, exploring more things, uh, more production facilities?
1: Yes, I have. I I uh, took a wonderful trip to Bainbridge Island today, which uh, you can take straight from the Seattle terminal. It's just across towards the the peninsula, the Olympic Peninsula. And I visited Iggy's Raw Culture today, Um, a very very interesting fermentation company that experiments a lot with the intersection of uh, more herbalism and fermentation, which we kind of talked about, touched on last week with another fermentation company, Physiology Foods. So I thought that was really cool to see that again and I really liked their little slogan. It's, alone we rot, together we ferment. That I like was, that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So yeah, the the owners, Sean and Heather, reached out to me a few weeks back when they noticed I was on Whidbey Island visiting Brit's Pickles. And they said, hey, come out and see our facility. And so they started in 2012, out of their kind of love for brewing herbal beers, and then they met Iggy, a fellow fermenter, and the three partnered to start their business. So uh, Heather actually teaches herbalism, so she she's more rooted in the herbalist side of things, but wanting to teach more fermentation, so she does a lot of honey kombucha. She calls it honey kombucha, but also known as jun. I guess they've weaned a few kombuchas off of sugar and onto honey, but then they've also sourced jun cultures. So they kind of experiment with both of these cultures. Um, And and
0: maybe for any listener that's not familiar with with jun, what differentiates it in general from kombucha?
1: So jun is a distinct culture in that it... Uh, it feeds upon honey specifically. It doesn't feed upon cane sugar, um, and and kombucha, as some of you may know, uh, specifically likes cane sugar. So they both they both uh, like camellia sinensis. However, Jen prefers green tea, uh, whereas kombucha is more versatile with green tea, black tea. However. All of these cultures are dependent upon you know their histories, where they've been, uh, how long they've been around, what they're used to. they're very environmental beings, so
0: yeah, I mean, we we really need to revisit uh, like kombucha and and John and it's a full episode at some point. It's it's really kind of fascinating these differences between them and similarities. And it's like, are they different? Are they the same? Are they similar to vinegar mothers? Are they actually that much different? And you're talking about like this weaning or or um, transferring them over to to honey. Um, I know that doesn't always work.
1: It doesn't.
0: Some people get it to work and other people don't. And then some people are like, my kombucha only really you know, does well with this, this, and this. And someone else is like, well, I can get away with this, this, and this. Uh, but someone's like, I tried that and mine died. So, I mean, it definitely seems like there are different cultures even amongst the umbrella of kombucha. And then I'm assuming probably similar for jun as well.
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. like The jun culture I have, I got it from a botanist in Asheville, North Carolina, and I had collected Several other Juns in my travels, but this one, Jun, it will actually, it likes black tea, uh, white teas, green tea, and I really love that it's really versatile in that way because a lot of Jun cultures, like I said, they prefer specifically green tea. And then, of course, you know, kombucha and Jun are really great in the sense that you can integrate a lot of other interesting herbs um, like at Icky's they had a kombucha called root bitters that they brewed with dandelion and burdock root which was really really good as like an earthy brew and those are really good for kind of detox they're good detox herbs
0: so when I hear detox though it doesn't sound uh like you made it sound not delicious to me anymore but I think it sounds delicious so like I'm assuming that it probably is even even with that terminology put on it
1: <laughs> yeah well it's uh, it, it cleanses. It, it it cleanses the body, and they have a rosemary echinacea kombucha that was that was really lovely, really refreshing. And They make a turmeric kraut, all kinds of interesting krauts, and but yeah, honey kombucha was definitely something of theirs that I was really fascinated by and enjoyed a lot.
0: So what what like so you say they do workshops? And then they make the the kombucha and then the the vegetables. Um, do they do anything else?
1: They don't do fermentation workshops. They do herbalism workshops. Okay. It, they so they live on this gorgeous island, uh, just half an hour from Seattle by ferry, and they have a really cool commercial kitchen space that is surrounded by a wooded area. And they were also saying they like to throw these musical gatherings and serve their ferments too. And so that that sounded like a really fun uh, event pairing with the bus for the future at some point, some point down the line. This uh, trip, unfortunately, in Seattle, I'm a little, it's a little hard for me to do something before I hit the road again, but. Uh, yeah, they seem like really fun people, really great people to follow. Um, they have an Instagram, their own on Facebook. It's Iggy Raw Culture and they're on Bainbridge Island.
0: Awesome. I'll make sure that goes in the show notes as well. And if anyone's interested, the show notes are at firmup.com slash podcast slash 95. And we'll make sure we have all the good details in there about them. But they sound great. It sounds, sounds delicious.
1: Yeah, they're lovely.
0: So um, in uh, other kind of happenings we're we're thinking now with the show since we're starting back up and everything that we'd go into a listener question section um, and right now since the show hasn't been on for I said six months last week uh, it's really actually been closer to eight months but um, sorry about that but we'd like to get more listener questions. And now we're asking you for those, so set submit them. If you have any kind of questions, submit it, and you know you don't have to think about like whether or not it's too simple or too complicated send Send both, send the simple ones, send the complicated ones, and you know we'll kind of uh, mix them together and figure out what can be the most beneficial for the broadest audience of, of people and very specific questions sometimes are something that people have a lot of. And so you had someone that recently contacted you uh, with a question on um, fermenting and in uh, brine.
1: Yes. And actually fermenting in brine that is brine of the vegetables. So when they're adding salt to the vegetables and bringing forth the the water content from the vegetables so a brines created. Um, I'll go ahead, I'll just read the question. Um, I have an issue. I'm fermenting kimchi and I keep running out of brine before I feel it's done fermenting. This happened with sauerkraut too, resulting in a pretty mild and dry kraut. My favorite part about the sauerkraut is the juice. I have two sets of stones uh, that came with. They have a weight and, um, at first they have wonderful amounts of brine, but now they think it's evaporating. Um, so he can't find anything on the internet. Can anyone help me? Thanks in advance. What do you think, Brandon?
0: Well, given that I already know how you responded to him, um, I think that we could uh, go that route, but before we get there, the first things that come to my mind are evaporation is, um, a thing I would not necessarily, um, say putting plastic wrap over it is going to help it that much. I I mean, I, I find that things like, it sounds like it's just an open, um, crock the, well, I don't think it's necessary whatsoever for fermentation, using a harsh crock or one of those uh crocks with the the moat of water around that definitely helps with evaporation although that water in the moat evaporates very quickly and if that water goes down then it defeats the purpose of the harsh crock um to begin with but those kind of crocks can really help with uh evaporation but um the other thing that comes to mind when like i think of of brine being low is that someone is fermenting in a mason jar which is again different than this this thing here but a mason jar and they put too many vegetables and too much uh it's just pack it too full because then the carbon um dioxide starts to build up and the pressure builds up and then it starts to um seep out even like if a mason jar is um is closed if someone's doing like a sealed um jar and just like popping it uh every once in a while they'll release the the uh the carbon dioxide buildup, it will still seep out even in this uh seemingly sealed jar. So liquid will start to come out that way. And then that can just all of a sudden mean that it's like so much of that, that beautiful, delicious brine. once it's all done, fermenting will be gone in the first week when it bubbles vigorously. So those right. are the like two things that, that come to mind besides what you gave as uh, an answer.
1: Yeah. And the way I responded, I, I told, I told the individual, well, if you have vegetables that are less fresh, say they have been in cold storage or even just sitting on the shelf of the grocery store for a week or two, then the water content of that vegetable is going to be a lot less than vegetables you harvested that morning. Um, and, and so that's always something to consider even when you are adding salt. I mean, it can, uh, you know, sometimes you may need to add water if you aren't bringing forth enough from the actual vegetables. I mean, ideally the the brine is going to consist just of that vegetable, that concentrated water from the vegetable. Um, which is part of why like sauerkraut is so awesome that it's so concentrated of like sauerkraut juice, right? Like mm. that's where the brine comes from. Just yes, don't water thing. it
0: down unless it's absolutely necessary.
1: Yeah. And like it will be necessary if you have really old vegetables. I mean sometimes you're gonna have vegetables sitting around and you gotta do something with them. Maybe you're like dumpster diving the food you're fermenting. I mean in that case you're probably gonna have to add water, but um that's not not usually uh the the case. But in, in this case, I guess he did respond that the vegetables were less fresh than the ones he'd been fermenting earlier where he had much more brine. So Uh, That's always something to consider when you're fermenting. The fresher the veggies, the more water content you will have.
0: Yeah. And I'm a huge culprit of letting things sit out for far longer because sometimes I'm just busy and something comes out of my garden or I get it from the farmer's market um, or the grocery store. And I'm like, I'm going to be doing this this weekend or, or this evening I'm going to ferment all this stuff. And then something comes up and I don't get to it. And then the next thing I know it's like a week or two later. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely have this experience. Um, I, I generally even like say two week old um, cabbage will still for me, provide enough juice, it's definitely doesn't give that like juice that he's saying that he, that he wants that, you know, that like we all can kind of crave if you, if, if you have not, if you do not drink brine, um, a kimchi, sauerkraut, anything, if you do not uh, consume that, then you should, you're really missing out and you should definitely do that. I mean, that's what I love about like at farmer's markets, uh, people that are, are starting to put, uh, brines out as like little shots. So it seems like a great morning wake up thing. So I I think that like when it is drier, like you're saying, it's just going to be lower. I generally still find that two weeks out, it's still going to cover. It's still going to ferment, but I'm not going to have a lot of drinkable juice at the end. Um, but uh, w- so it sounds like you're okay with people adding water.
1: I mean, as a last resort. I mean, and also, yeah, if you want more brine. I mean, obviously, when you're fermenting in smaller batches, you're you're going to have less brine overall, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little different. Like commercial producers, they have the huge barrels they're fermenting in, and and that's often. I mean, that's how they're able to you know come up with a lot of. They have their their kraut shots and kimchi shots because um, there's a lot of excess brine.
0: Yeah, and um, then you get up to the industrial scale where it's like it's the brine is a waste product because there's so much of it, and they've got to figure out how to properly dispose of it. You know.
1: So yeah. There's, exactly. There,
0: Um, So yeah, I'm okay with, with adding water too, if a person wants, like it's, it waters down the final flavor. So if, if what you're craving is that rich, dense brine, then probably get fresher vegetables. But if you really like the brine and you want more brine, it's going to be more flavorful to brine it with extra water added, as opposed to say, you know, it's, it's not quite as bad as watering it down afterwards. So there's still going to be a lot of flavor there. It's just not going to be quite as much.
1: Right. Right. I agree completely.
0: So, yeah. So there's our first listener question um, and we want more. So send them in, find us on Facebook, on Twitter, um, send them to either of us, both of us, uh, any kind of question you have, because the reality is someone else probably has that question too. Even if maybe, you know, like it's as we're like starting out with this kind of stuff and getting people to do this, you could really help us out, even if you had like a question that like it's something that maybe you figured out and have an opinion on now, but it's something that really stumped you for a while, or or an epiphany you had. Like, because it's still a good talking point that we can kind of kind of talk about and and spin into a question too. So whatever it is, uh, uh, send it in, and we'd love to do more of these.
1: Yeah, feedback is great.
0: Yes, please. And uh, are you familiar with? I saw on Twitter recently, killer pick or uh killer pickles on twitter that's uh that's sarah she has uh killerpickles.com and uh different things it's a great place you should check out uh she was mentioning that she got her kf uh, here i am stumbling over the name Kefirko. um are you familiar with that the kickstarter project for kefir jar
1: yeah i've noticed Kefirko. i I saw Is it still, is the Kickstarter running right now? Is it like. Involved?
0: No, the Kickstarter is, is done. Actually, yep. I think because the Kickstarter backers are getting, just getting like, she just got hers, I ah. believe this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I asked her what she thought of it and she thought it was, uh, she thinks it's great um, because if you're, if you're not familiar with the k I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, I think it's just Kfirco.com or something like that. They're, I am drawing a blank as to where they are located in Europe at this point, but um, that's the one downside: is that it's a little bit more expensive um, shipping to bring it stateside here um, if you're in the United States. But if you're elsewhere, then definitely uh, check it out as well. But uh, it's available in the United States for sure. It's a glass jar, and it looks—it's kind of like shaped, uh, kind of interestingly that it actually looks like. Plastic almost to me in all the images. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's, it's, it's glass with a plastic top that has the strainer built in with another like screw on seal top that goes onto the top of that so that you can shake it because like Kiefer likes to be shaken throughout the process. Yeah. And so um, the thing about it is that built-in strainer is nice because I know for myself when I pour out my... Kefir, I'll be interested to hear how maybe you uh, you do things in, in your processes. I use a little uh, plastic mesh strainer, mm-hmm. um, but it has far finer um, holes than this like this uh, s- these slats that are in the strainer for the kefirko, and so I have to kind of stir it as I like, I can pour and fill up the little mini, um, sieve. And then I have to stir to kind of get it to go through quickly enough. Um, because there's just not enough airflow. Whereas this would have airflow at the top because it's all the way around the, uh, the lid is that, uh, that nice, um, uh, strainer. So like, do you, do you find that your kefir making process is troubling to you where you could see yourself wanting a product like this, or you, is it just like a nice perk would be nice thing to have as a luxury? I
1: think it's a really sweet design, the slats. I mean, I think it makes it really easy. I actually, um, I find it really difficult to use a strainer. I mean, I have lots of strainers and I, I make a lot of water kefir too, but I prefer to actually just dish my grains out with a wooden spoon. Yeah. And then I make, I make smoothies with kefir. So if there are any extra grains hanging out, they just get blended up and... And I just drink them and I just kinda gather what I need from from the jar, grain wise, culture wise. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I do oftentimes I'll do a similar thing. I um have very prolific grains recently, um, that I got from someone and it's been very um I, I kind of wanted to capture as many as I could to be able to share with other people and uh and just make more uh, different points. And so I've been going back to straining before I had a culture for a few years that actually ended up dying because it just kind of turned into a massive ball. Um, uh-huh. And I would just, keep, I would just like use a, like a fork really quickly and, and pick that out. And it was super simple and so easy. And I didn't have to like worry mm-hmm. about anything. And like at that point, like the kefirko thing would have been like, well, what do I need that for? It's easy to do with a fork. Um, but but now that I am back to the strainer, it's a little bit more of a pain. I'm not at the point where it's like, eh, I, I really need another thing because mason jars just work so well. But like, I do have to say when I first saw this, it's like, uh, I really do um, do think it looks nice. But at $40 with shipping in it, I'm not oh, wow. quite ready to, to to get one because I generally make more kefir than just the like a one quart size mason jar. I usually do multiples. And so I think this is just around a quart size. So okay. It's yeah. it's kind of a luxury product in my mind, but still an awesome design. Um, and uh, it seems like it's just being done by a a, a great uh, team that's uh, put this together. So it's definitely a slick looking thing. And I think it's awesome that we, we have more products like this. I think even if you're like someone that's like, I don't want to do anything. Um, I, I want to keep it as simple and as cheap as possible. I mean, like Mason jars are about as cheap as it gets, especially if you reuse jars and different things like that. Um, and I think that's definitely valid. And I think the easier we make it for people that maybe don't know if they're interested in making kefir at home. Like maybe they're like a lifeway kefir drinker and they don't know anything else, but they're like, this is the thing that gets them into doing it. I think that's great. So I think products like this are great for getting people into it. And then for people that, you know, want a little luxury in their life because they do so much fermentation that fermentation takes time. So anything that can save a few minutes can sometimes be worth it.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: The other thing that I saw this, this week was on Hackaday, which I was not expecting to see fermentation related stuff on Hackaday. And if you're not familiar with Hackaday, it's kind of as it sounds, a Hackaday kind of thing. I think they do multiples a day. I don't actually frequent it very often, but it comes up in searches for things that I've been doing and everything from, um, you know, Arduino or, um, computer programming related things to more, uh, physical, uh. Uh, hacks and and food hacks and different things like that come up. And there was this chaos communication camp 2015 in Germany this, this last week. Mm -hmm. And they had a bit of an accident. Um, And it's whenever this comes up, I like to take it as a time to talk about some of the dangers that can happen with fermentation. They had an exploding bottle Um, and exploding glass is super dangerous Um, And it's super sad when people get hurt, and this is one of those instances where people did get hurt.
1: First, I'm really curious. What is the Chaos Communication Camp? Because it sounds kind of like a wild thing. Like, is there a? Does it have a kind of a mission, intention involved? Or
0: I I think yes. I I, at least from I know nothing about this place. Like I, I just actually because they didn't even refer to it on Hackaday as anything but CCC. Um, Mm -hmm. And at first, I was at this like. computer complexity conference thing and not i was like "Hmm, this is an interesting place to have like fermentation workshops at and that was definitely not what it is so i'm not familiar with this at all but from their website or their wiki they had the chaos communication camp is an international five-day open-air event for hackers and associated life forms it provides a relaxed atmosphere for free exchange of technical social and political ideas the camp uh the camp has everything you need power internet food and fun bring your tent and participate so it sounds like it's a big event. I mean, the, the kind of setup for this is that it was a, um, there were certain fermentation uh, and food related events going on that were being put on by this food hacking base group, um, which if anyone's familiar with like hacker spaces or different things uh, for, uh, you know, more technology based things, this sounds like it's more like the same kind of thing for food experiments and different things like that. sounds like a great, great thing. And I would actually want to look more into it, but they had done workshops. One of those workshops involved some kind of um, fermented beverage in a girl style um, flip top bottle. Um, And it ended up going from the tent where it had been um, made or was, was being used as an example. And it ended up in a soldering tent. So like we're going from food to soldering and it ended up exploding and it sent, Shrapnel as it was described by people shrapnel flying through the workshop tent um so much so that one uh, a few of the pieces of the glass were found um now this isn't in, in europe so tw- uh it was like 20 centimeters long and it went through the ceiling of the tent and propelled another four to five meters afterwards mm. so like definitely a lot of um explosion a lot of uh power behind that and and quoting from people on a a forum discussion about this it said that people got hurt and needed to go to the hospital because glass particles were stuck in their faces a throat was cut and an eyelid was bleeding oh so scary stuff like stuff that like people could actually die from exploding bottles and i think it's something that doesn't get covered enough and i know i've talked about it before um and it's uh, like i don't know your story but it sounds like you have had experience with this too
1: i have yeah luckily Uh, I've never had an experience where people were present. Um, it was kind of in a closed off space, like in my room where all of my wine was fermenting. So, um, yeah, I have like a a safe space, you could call it. I mean, really it just, it's actually happened to me just, just once before. And I was fermenting, I was fermenting in a barn in Oregon, um, I had, like, different kind of setups at different farm locations where I was, like, harvesting vegetables and fermenting food on the different farms. And there was this one barn where I started lots and lots of wine. And, um, yeah, I fermented some pear cider and I just figured, like, oh, this, you know, this is dormant now. The yeast has chilled out and I should just put a cap on it and then, you know, the next in the next few days, I uh, walked in and there's like wine everywhere. I'm like, where is it? And it had broke. you know, it was just, it had broken, like the bottom, the base of the jar was totally intact. It was just that like everything had, had like cracked and shattered on the top of the jug. So um, yeah, and then I was seeking out dangerous glass pieces for the rest of the evening
0: yeah those things can go far,
1: yeah, uh, they really can, and it's it's a total mess too, especially if you haven't racked in a while and you've got like all of the sediment in the in the jug too it's pretty pretty gloopy,
0: yeah, so it's it's one of those things that can be uh, messy, it's sad to lose product, and it's something that you know sometimes can happen. And so there are certain things that people can do to make it a little bit, um, a little bit safer or less likely to happen. Like you having a separate room like that, where, you know, hopefully people wouldn't be just hanging out generally, like, um, is definitely like a first step. And I know for like myself, um, and I've talked about it on the show before, but it was uh, very serious where it was actually, um, water kefir that was on the countertop in a flip top girl style bottle. Um, and it was, uh, I had just put it in a second fermentation with some fruit and fruit can definitely get fermentation kicked up a notch. Um, and I was at work in the evening when this happened, I think it was like a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. Uh, well, yeah, it was almost three years ago because it, it was my then infant son who's almost three now. Um, and uh, he and my wife were in the the kitchen where this was just sitting on the counter um, minutes before the explosion happened. They had gone to the other room, and um, shards of glass were all the way down far our hallway into the living room and everywhere possible that it could go. There were little shards of glass, and my son was like eating in a high chair, like minutes before that, like very grateful and lucky, um, and that f- like completely um, freaked me out.
1: Yeah. Someone's looking out for you, Brandon.
0: Wow. Yeah. Really lucky with that situation. But that was, that was scary. Because that, that could have been a life there. And I know people have died from these kind of things. Um, and, and so it's definitely something to always be aware of. And that's why it's like public service announcement here. Like I know it's kind of um, a downer kind of thing to, to talk about with fermentation because it's generally so safe um, relatively so with most things, but like fermented beverages um, I think a lot more is covered in, alcohol fermentation. I think it sometimes slips by in introductions to water kefir and um and other uh sweet fermented beverages that these things can also um explode. And my example was one where I was just I, I was kind of ignorant to what kind of bottle I was using. Uh, I think it was actually not it wasn't it wasn't a beer gralsh bottle. It was just the flip top kind and it was probably more um, the display variety, not really meant to have pressure inside of it. Uh, Um, And so that definitely weakened it. But at the same time, it could obviously still happen because it was, it was very uh, strong and it could happen with another bottle. And again, if you're using recycling bottles or different things like that, you could get a hairline uh, fracture in it that could cause it. So like what people can do is ferment inside of a box, ferment inside of a cupboard. Like you're not going to stop messes from happening if it does happen, but you're making it so you don't have an exploding bomb
1: yeah, and with water kefir I even recommend to people because it feasts so rapidly on the sugars that uh, once you you know once you plug it with your with the um, with the sling top it's best to put it in the fridge and then let it secondary ferment in the fridge because uh, that really helps slow it down is it it really is it it is such a rapid, like you said, feaster. It just eats, eats, eats so quickly. And once you put it in the refrigerator, it's still eating. It's just slowing it down. And then I find that, you know, the next time you open it, it's still going to be carbonated and, and it's still going to be lovely and delicious and, and lively too.
0: I will definitely have to try that.
1: That's what I do. And I've found that that works for me. I've always had a fear of of exploding water kefir and I actually like, when I ferment water kefir, I use, um, I use quart jars and I use the plastic ball jar lids because they're breathable.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: use this for most of my ferments. It's also, it's, it's easier on the bus because then everything can breathe but they're still relatively covered up. Um, and I've, I've found that that works really well with my water kefir. So yeah, and, and then when I'm ready to bottle it, I put it in a bottle, uh, add a little more sugar usually a syrup of some sort that I've made to flavor it. And then I, yeah, it's in a sling top bottle, put it in the fridge, wait a day, then I enjoy it. So.
0: I like that. Don't live, don't live on the edge like me. Even after that <laughs> happened, I still always would ferment out because I really like carbonation. Like I want it to be as carbonated as possible. So that's part of the risk. Um, and so like for a long while I even just fermented right inside of boxes, like, um, uh, but I do it in cupboards now and, and now I will try this and see if it gets carbonated enough.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can even, I mean, you know, wait longer than a day with it in the fridge. I mean, like it's, it's fermenting pretty slowly at that or, you know, a lot more slowly than it would when it's sitting out. And I find that like two days in is kind of the perfect secondary ferment at refrigerated temperature for water kefir, at least for my culture, of course. You know, like we were talking about with with kombucha and Jen earlier, like every culture, even within a species, is going to vary slightly. So, like as you get to know your culture and how fast it works in that secondary fermentation stage at cooler temperatures or warmer temperatures then you're going to you know you're going to have a better idea of how long how long to store it and the refrigerator is just you know a great safety measure and if you if you take it out after one day and you pop it and you're like ah oh, this is not carbonated to my liking then you know next time leave it in for 2 days or you can just you, know, you can just seal it back up and put it back in as well, but it's all, you know, practice and getting to know your starter culture as well.
0: Yeah. And I don't know what it is about refrigerator. It's always been something I'm like, well, uh, you know, as cat says the fermentation slowing device, you know, I'm like, well, I don't want to slow things down. I want to like keep things going. And, and there is something to be said for, uh, slowing things down and, and getting a Different flavor profile from uh, taking things a little bit slower, and I even found that like I've always been horrible with making pickles, um, uh, mainly because I'm horrible at growing uh, cucumbers uh, and and picking them <laughs> early enough before they just <laughs> balloon up and they're too large to make pickles from. Um, but like it was like something where uh, it was in Amanda Pfeiffer's uh, book, new book. I don't know if it's out yet, um, but I was I was reading in there. Um, she's from Fickle and. She said, "You know, for pickles, for her, it's ferment for three days, and like that's like not fermented at all for me for any of my vegetables. Like I always want to go farther, um, or it like, it, but she said f- ferment for three days and then put in the refrigerator. And like I've given it like two, three weeks in the refrigerator, and I was like, oh, it actually, you know, I, I know that things ferment more because like my kimchi gets um, more and more sour over months if I let it sit in the refrigerator. But like for yeah. some reason, I just did not, I." I would never put something so fresh into the refrigerator. Um, I'm always like at least, at least two to three weeks before I'm putting a vegetable Uh in the refrigerator. And, but with pickles, it's like, these have been the most delicious pickles that I've ever made this season.
1: Oh yeah. I have a very similar approach to pickles. I do, I do like three to five days and then I put it in the fridge if I can see. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I have a challenge right now because I, I live in a bus. Right. And I, I, I really cannot wait to have a refrigerator again. Like, that's one of the most exciting aspects of getting home for me because I ferment so much food. And the only way to prevent spoilage is to just keep feeding people, right? And so I have to have, like, however many people in my bus depending how much food I'm making every week to make sure that it all gets consumed. But, um... Yeah, that doesn't always happen. And sometimes things spoil or, you know, I just – I sometimes I'm just giving ferments away because that's really the only way to, to you know, let not let food go to waste. But, oh, my gosh, the refrigerator is a great tool for slow fermentation. Things like pickles, I, I miss making cucumber pickles so much. I mean, I have made cucumber – like in New England last year, it the, the weather was a little more mild – and I was able to make cucumber pickles and they were really great and they, they held up for a little longer in the bus. But uh, this summer in the Midwest, no way. I mean, now that I'm in Seattle, I might get a, I might be able to get away with it. It's been like in the 60s, 70s. but
0: Yeah, so imagine my pickles that I would always let sit for three to four weeks before even <laughs> trying them and imagine what yeah. those would be like.
1: That, that, they probably taste pretty tangy and maybe a little mushy. Yeah, the f-
0: flavor was fine. Hollow in the center most of the time and um and and definitely like like flavor was good but mushy do- totally. I mean yeah. it just um, the other thing I do chop off um the little bit of the edge of the where it connects to the plant. That was mm-hmm. another suggestion in her book. I've tried it. The
1: edge
0: where it connects to the plant. Um the little my Like the stem? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I was like, why can I not think of what those would be called? (laughs) Yes. The stem, like just a little bit of a sliver. Her argument was that it uh, is where most of the uh, rot producing bacteria are. Okay. So taking that off also helps curb the 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 challenge that otherwise comes from pickles pickles aren't it, pickle like cucumber pickles are the thing that a lot of people think of is like the one thing uh that a lot of people think of when c- comes to fermentation if they're not familiar with fermentation and fermented vegetables but it's not one of the easiest Easier i would say
1: things yeah for sure yeah. So. yeah one one way to uh help with crispness too just as a side note uh is to increase the tannins and and you can do that by adding grape leaves or oak leaves i've always used oak leaves and that's really helpful
0: yeah and i use i use grape leaves because we have a lot of wild grapes that grow Mm. around here so like i definitely do that um and i can say that even with all the tannins in the world like i've put like 10 12 leaves in um again if it goes for like a, a like three four weeks Nothing's gonna save it at that point but in yeah. I, I did it now too and it's it's totally great so yeah there are there are many things we can we can do a whole cucumber pickle episode in the future and you know <laughs> en- enough about pickles enough about like depressing explosions like let's talk about like what's coming up like there are some events coming up
1: yeah there are some events coming up um, so I've got I have some events coming up
0: yeah well okay because it's it's you and fermentation on wheels is awesome I think you should start with there even if they're not in order what are you doing?
1: So, I'm doing a potluck in Seattle on September 12th at Sandell Park in the Greenwood neighborhood. Uh, So, it's September 12th from 6 to 9 p.m., which I'm really excited about. And then the next day, I'm going to be at the West Seattle Farmer's Market with my bus, giving tours and also doing demos. So, uh, I'll do demos and then every half hour bring people on the bus uh, I'll be there from ten to one pm
0: okay let's 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 jump back to this uh, I want to just hear a little bit more about this potluck mm-hmm. um, because like that totally sounds like something that like not everyone's in Seattle, but that's something that like other people could put on a potluck not everyone can like drive a bus yeah. around and do workshops but like what what is that like what is totally, it and, like
1: yeah so I do i I throw big potlucks all over the country and my my more typical Potluck. It's it's called Get Cultured, and it's a fermented food themed potluck. So people bring dishes that um, you know feature fermentation in some way. But you know it doesn't have to be fermented. If you haven't started experimenting yet, then then you know bring another dish that will complement fermented foods. Um, And it's it's always really fun because I get a lot of people who are just starting to ferment vegetables that. That uh, you know that that join and then also there are people like making cheese and beer and uh, all kinds of like chutneys and you know you just get a really great array. sourdough I love get really great fresh sourdough It always really impresses me to have someone like bring bring a fresh baked loaf of 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 uh, sourdough anyway my love for sourdough um, so. Yeah, and then um, my my potlucks because I have this big bus and this big mission. I always talk a little bit about fermentation on wheels, and then I also talk about fermentation. And I kind of just brief the audience since it's not a full on workshop. I brief them on the difference between. Wild fermentation and then fermentation via inoculation. So the idea of working with wild bugs that are all around us in the environment, and then also working with starter cultures. And then following that talk, um, everyone gets to tour the boss and they see my starter culture collection. So um, all my sourdough starters, my kombucha cultures. Um, my water kefers, dairy kefirs, yogurts, um, etc. And you know, starter cultures are a really big part of my project. I like to spread them around. So yeah, that's how my potlucks go down. Uh so it's kind of like a fermented food themed potluck plus a starter culture exchange. Um and you know starter culture exchanges are happening everywhere now. They're a great way to like have a fermentation community event. You know, you get together and kind of just do this big swap. Um, And a lot of my project was based on barter economy, also gift economy in some sense. But, um, you know, it's mostly about like Okay, what do you have and what do I have and how can we combine those forces to like, you know, really benefit each other and and make this this awesome microbial realm in our in our in our own worlds. So, you know, that's definitely what like the bus has become. It's this awesome microbial realm and and potlucks have 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 really contributed to that.
0: Yeah, I really love the potluck idea because, you know, culture exchanges are are great and they are all about like sharing stuff that sometimes people don't know where to get um or aren't commercially available for them to find elsewhere anyway or it's they don't know what communities online they can barter online or share with each other otherwise. So like that's great. I think the potluck takes it up a notch because say for someone like me like I kind of consider myself a fermentation generalist. I'm not like a specialist in any one thing. I have certain things that I kind of totally geek out on, um, in others, um, that I only try every once in a while, but at the same time, like I don't have enough time, um, with all of that expansive exploration of different kinds of cultures, um, to specialize. Whereas like people that have been doing things for years, um, even, you know, not necessarily specialists as in like, uh, producers, but like. They just make it at home, but they do like one thing really well. They, they make that sourdough bread really well. They, they make some alcoholic beverage or they do something else. And then everyone coming together with that, like just seems in my mind, I've never been to a a fermentation potluck, but now you're inspiring me to want to like get one going is that, you know, that's just like totally can inspire people to either want to do things or if nothing else, just open up to a whole new world of fermentation that otherwise they may not be as familiar with like what can be done with fermentation.
1: Yeah. And you know, if if you're one who learns through experience and kind of hands-on projects, having a potluck and people who are interested in these same traditional food processes and, you know, you have knowledge that could benefit someone and they have knowledge that could benefit you, then – you know, it's it's a great way to form bonds and then you're you're sharing a meal, which is like this very intimate experience, like sharing food, breaking bread together. It's really it's really an awesome way to build community. So
0: So what are these other things, these other community builder things that are going on? What are some other events?
1: So I'm I'm doing my vegetable fermentation uh well, like I said, I'm gonna be at the farmers market on september 13th which is the day after the potluck from and that's west seattle farmer's market from 10 to 1 and then i'm doing several vegetable fermentation workshops in the coming month these are all on my website so um i'll just say real quick i'm i'll be in olympia washington and vancouver washington this month and uh those are at – you can check them out on fermentationonwheels.com for RSVP details. And then uh, I will also be at the Oregon Fermentation Festival later this month, which is September 20th. And uh, the Oregon Fermentation Festival, this is actually the first year of the festival. However, but it's wait not- a
0: minute. I thought it was – I thought like it's been going on for seven years.
1: So – there is a festival that has been going on for seven years in Oregon and in Portland, Oregon, which uh, is very nearby where the Oregon fermentation festival is happening, but the, the Oregon fermentation festival will be on Savvy Island actually. Um, So Oregon fermentation festival is put on by fermenters club of San Diego. And uh, so fermenters club, you may be somewhat familiar with them. Austin, Durant, he's been on the show, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, so Austin and his partner, Brent, they're now producing fermentation festivals. And um, I know they're going to start focusing on a few other locations, but uh, they were really interested in Oregon. They were inspired after attending the Mother Earth News Fair Festival in Albany, Oregon. And so they just said, "Hey, let's let's do this. Uh, let's put together a big festival." So uh, this is the you know the the first year of of this fest, um, and like I said, it's in Savvy Island. There's also the Portland, Oregon Fermentation Festival that, like you said, has been going on for. I think they're about to do their seventh year, and that will be in late October. So this is a month earlier, and uh i will be there i am doing the keynote and i'll be talking about fermentation on wheels my mission uh also about different communities i've visited through the country i'll be doing quite a bit of of storytelling but also kind of wrapping it into you know my philosophy uh and then there will be a lot of other really cool speakers really awesome people there sash sunday of ollie kraut she'll do a talk on uh fermenting and sustainable how, how it works as a system in sustainable food systems how fermenting is sustainable in the food system i guess um julie o'brien of firefly kitchens who is in Seattle, where I am now, she, she's going to do a talk about integrating fermented foods into everyday recipes. Austin of Fermenters Club is going to do a kombucha workshop. Uh, uh, Alex Friedman of Homegrown Food Products, he's going to do a kimchi workshop. There's going to be a chocolate workshop, a beer workshop. I mean, there's a lot of educational stuff going on. Oh, and then Sarah, who you mentioned earlier, uh, who just got her Kefirco K- uh, product, she's going to be there. Or Kefirco, her her strainer, she's going to be there talking about fermenting legumes, so miso and tempeh. Um, and yeah, she's with Killer Pickles, which is a, an online blog. So yeah, it's going to be packed with lots of awesome makers and speakers and um I'm really I'm really excited for it. I'm also really excited to like you know get back and meet all of these people who I haven't seen in years because I you know I, I left Oregon and October 2013, so there are quite a few people that are going to be there who I haven't seen in ages, I'm just, like, so excited. So, yeah, that's the Organ Fermentation Festival, and there are a few other events coming up in September that I think are worth noting. Um, Sandra Katz is going to be speaking at Hex, well, speaking at Whitelock Community Farm, in Baltimore, uh, and it's it's sponsored, put on by Hex Ferments, and Hex Ferments, uh, Megan and Shane Carpenter are the founders, and, and they're in Baltimore. They've been in business for about two years now, and they, they make really inventive, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ferments. They're both artists as well. Shane's a photographer. Uh, Megan's an artist of of many variety many mediums she just she's done some like installation type art and but you know primarily they're both lovers of the microbe and fermentation and they make beautiful ferments and it's really cool Sandra's gonna go to baltimore and do a workshop at white look community farm which is where um i had my workshop. When I was there in, in May of 2014, and it's, it's a great space, great community. I think it's gonna be a really fun event. And he's going to be speaking on uh, September 13th and also September 14th. So you can go to Hex Ferment's website, I think their Facebook is their website, and get details on how to sign up for, for those talks with Sander.
0: Yeah. And we'll have that in the the show notes as well. And I don't actually know anything about hex ferments except for what I've learned over time uh, following them on um, Instagram. But for anyone that's like not in the areas where these different uh, producers are, or where these different events are like, I definitely say like Instagram is a great place to at least like live vicariously through and almost get a sense of like what people are, are making and like get ideas about like what different people are producing because, you know, there are great things coming seemingly out of hex ferments, even though I've never tasted their stuff. I still like know of them because of that. Yeah. Um, whether it, it, <laughs> that's a lot of events. <laughs> I mean, there are probably more that we're not covering. Is there anything else that like you want to throw in there?
1: Yeah, Mother Earth News Fair is happening uh in Pennsylvania this month uh on it's the weekend of the 18th, so the 18th through 20th and Sander Katz will be speaking there. Uh and then you know, I think Joel Saladin's going to be there too, a lot of really awesome speakers who are, you know, interested in sustainable food systems, fermentation, uh organic farming all kinds of you know getting back to the land type work so
0: And you were there last year, right?
1: I was there last year. Yeah, and it was really fun. It's 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 really big. It's a really big event. There was more stuff than I could ever possibly look and I was alone with my boss, so I was kind of like strapped to my boss talking 8 hours straight all day every day. Um so so, yeah, I remember, like, I took one lunch break one of the days and was like I couldn't even begin to, like, touch the festival. There was so much stuff happening. So, you know, if you want to go out and it's, like, the largest Mother Earth news fair every year. And I think they, they do about five a year all around the country. And this one in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania is really big. And it's also in a really beautiful location. So um, if that's something you'd be interested in. Check it out, Mother Earth News Fair. You can Google it up and uh, and check out their schedule. I think Sander is speaking on Saturday, um, so the nineteenth of the festival, Saturday at eleven thirty p eleven thirty a.m. to twelve thirty p.m. Yeah, so.
0: And any other things I mean, the thing is, there are, this is the time of year for events. So like, we won't always be like talking, you know, about um, so many events, but there just are a lot of big events going on right now. I mean, it's, it's traditional harvest season coming up in in a lot of parts of the United States. So it's the time of year um, that this kind of stuff is going on. But just like this stuff, this event that we talked about earlier with the, the chaos community camp in Germany. If, if you know of events like big events going on in other areas of the world, definitely, you know, send them our way because, you know, we're kind of us centric, but we're not purposely that way. Like I try and look for news elsewhere. um, But at the same time, like there are just so many events going on. And um, so if you know of different events coming up that you'd like us to give a shout out for. We definitely want to share them because we know most of you aren't necessarily living in each one of these specific places and most of you are going to miss out on them. But um, if nothing else, maybe you'll get inspired. If you don't have anything in your area, um, you could start one too. I mean, you could be like Austin Durant uh, and just, you know, start up some festivals. I'm not saying compete with him, but you know, at the same time, if there's (laughs) nothing there, do it.
1: Yeah, the more the merrier. So Bring it on!
0: We're going to have to have him on the show too. I think uh, again, uh, because yeah. I, I not only does he do a lot of awesome stuff, so there's plenty of things to catch up on anyway. But like, I really, I wasn't familiar with the, his new venture in, in doing these different fermentation workshops. But I think that would be a very fascinating talk to have with him.
1: I think that'd be great too. And you know, he's going to be in, he's going to be in Portland soon with his co-producer Brent, so we could have both of them on the show probably before and the past happens. That'd be really fun. You
0: can, you can record with them live.
1: Yeah, that's right. I could, that would be fun. That would be really fun.
0: Well, awesome. So anything else you want to wrap up with today?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, just in regards to feedback, um, other feedback that's welcome. If there's someone that you're aching to hear on the show, um, then, you know, please let us know. We got some feedback last last week and so we're kind of brainstorming on some really exciting guests that will be coming up soon and uh we hope to have more of your input because, you know, you are the listener. So let us know. Reach let us, out.
0: Let us know what you wanna wanna do. And so where should people go if they wanna uh connect up with you?
1: Fermentation on wheels. Um and and Facebook is a great way to get in touch. You know, I'm going to be posting these shows and some firm up info, info on fermentation on wheels weekly, just so my fermentation on wheels audience sees this. Uh,
0: but if you want quicker responses, at least from me. Um, the better place is on, on Twitter. So at from up is a, is a great way to uh, reach out with like quick questions or different things. Otherwise, you know, generally with e uh, with emails I like to spend a little bit more time crafting responses for that and that's where it's like we really just need to share a lot more of these things online too so if you do send email and you're listening to this and you don't want something shared um uh, we'll probably respond and let you know that we're going to but uh please let us know if it's like this needs to say top secret um we can we cannot have this be a question (laughs) online then please let us know
1: yeah, you never
0: know. So pretty much, what we're saying is, you have options. So yeah, so reach want- out if yeah. you are at a perfect time because this show has not been on for eight months. So like we are like with a new co-host, and so there is a lot of opportunity for like change, um, and uh, nothing is set in stone. So uh, get those ideas bubbling up and send them our way so that you can like help shape the show in the direction you'd like to see it go. Um, but uh, again, you'll find all of the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 95 um and until next time firm up
1: firm up